Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Teach Me to Code podcast. This is your host, Charles Maxwood, and uh, this week we're going to be talking to Peter Ledbrook. Now, before I get started, I really want to uh, talk about a couple of things that I've got going on here. Um, I'm going to start doing the videos again. Um, I, I really apologize for that. I kind of got behind on that. I've been sick and the holidays. And anyway, there's not really a good excuse. Um, <laughs> I guess there is if I'm dying or something. But anyway, um, so yeah, th those will be coming back up. Um, but I also want to point out that uh, before we get started, I'm going to be doing a webinar at the beginning of... Um, February and basically it's going to be uh, here's how to set up Ruby on Rails and get started with it uh, probably be an hour maybe a little longer than that um, but I'm basically going to go over here's how you set it up here's how you get things running with it and then I'll take questions from people who may have issues getting it going um, that includes on your servers so if you if you have feedback or input questions that you want answered for that and keep an eye out um, and I'll let you know when that is. Uh, you can also sign up for the mailing list on the website and I'm going to send an email out to the mailing list when I have the details uh, hammered out and we can kind of run with that. So uh, that being said, here's the interview. Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood from Teach Me to Code and uh, this week we're going to be talking to Peter Ledbrook. Um, Peter is, uh, he works for VMware and he's a Groovy and Grails evangelist. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Peter. Uh, well, thanks very much, Chuck, for having me. It's uh, uh, been a, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. I was work with uh, my colleague Glenn Smith doing the Grails podcast, um, and he's based in Australia. So yeah, it's good to be back on the microphone again. Oh, I can only imagine what uh, lining up that that time is like. <laughs> How many hours <laughs> off for you guys? Uh, Depends whether it's winter or summer, but it can vary between nine and eleven hours difference. Oh, wow. Time zone difference. So yes, it's like it's late night for one of us, early morning for the other. <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. I used to work with the team in India. Actually, when I was working for a company that was owned by EMC Corporation, which owns VMware as well. Um, yeah, and so we would come in like two or three times a week at like six a.m. and they would stay late until like seven p.m. and <laughs> we'd have our meetings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we actually have something similar in uh, in our office, and of course we have quite a few people on the west coast in uh, Palo Alto, San Francisco. So it's, they start coming online at five o'clock in the afternoon our time, which is oh, not wow. too bad. But there's not an awful lot of overlap there. But yeah, 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 yeah that's one hour off from where I'm at. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump in and start talking about Groovy and Grails. Yeah, sure. So uh, I've been a uh, developer since, well, I was one of those bedroom coders uh, during the home computer revolution. I I started pretty much on, uh, I don't know if you guys, if you've ever heard of the ZX81, Spectrum, Sinclair ZX81. Uh -uh. It was a very British computer uh, around the time of the Commodore 64, I think before then. So uh, I got one of those when I was a kid. Um, that that was a, quite an interesting computer because it used to come with an extension, this memory pack that was a huge <laughs> 16K. But the really interesting thing was if it got knocked or you didn't quite get it connected properly, the computer just wouldn't work. And of course, <laughs> you're also loading stuff from 
tape drives. So that was that was good fun. <laughs> anyway, so I've been <laughs> back, back when programming involved the finesse of not bumping your computer. Yes, exactly. And where you could tell whether a program was loading correctly by the sounds that the tape recorder was making as it was loading the program. <laughs> they were good times. Um, and then, yeah, so I had a, a, an Amiga later and started programming on that. And, you know, I enjoyed a challenge, so I started with C. Other people would start with uh, slightly more accessible languages. Um, and then at some point I, I got into Java, and I've been doing Java for quite a while now, um, over over 10 years. I don't want to say how much more over 10 years. It's, you get to an age where you don't want to talk about it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, have yeah, who used to program, I have friends who used to program Java that don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> uh, well, I have to say... I'm I'm not from the punch card era, although I have great respect for the guys who are still doing it from from then. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I've uh, you know dabbled in all sorts of areas of development, and you know I've touched on you know I did quite a bit of C plus uh, plus. I'm trying to banish that memory forever. Uh, I've done some uh, Python, which made the C plus plus kind of thing. Well, actually made C nicer to work with so that was quite cool uh dabbled in ruby a bit um and then found groovy and grails and that's where my focus has been but i continue to uh look around and you know at the moment there's an absolute explosion of languages on the certainly on the jvm and i think outside of the jvm as well yeah there are quite a few that have uh come out I, doesn't scholar run on the jvm yeah so it was originally going to run the, the JVM was the uh, primary platform uh, they were working on uh, .NET a CLR version as well uh -huh. so I, do, I don't know whether that's still going whether they're still developing that I'm not sure right. but yeah Scala yeah. Uh, we've got sorry go on yeah I was going to say yeah they're, they're quite a bit and some of them are like ports over so you have Jython and JRuby and, and then you've got things like Groovy and Clojure so yeah, really yeah, interesting. Yeah, so you you got the older ones, um, and Scala and Clojure. You know, Groovy's been around since uh I'm gonna get the year wrong, but I think it's about two thousand and one when it originally started. Um but we're getting, you know, there's a language called Phantom, there's a language called there are Ceylon and Kotlin, there are various languages that are trying to uh take, you know, take Java that bit further forward you know as we uh -huh. wait for Java to evolve it's like people have become impatient so it's we need a new static language so there's a lot of competition in that space as well yeah it'll be interesting to see where it all goes and and, and not even just on the JVM but we have this kind of resurgence of other languages like JavaScript and and I, I see a few people programming in C again and you know it's just it's, it's interesting to see these other things coming back up yeah, well, people never stopped programming in C. I think yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, Java and C have been in the top, you know, the top two languages for a while. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, so where does Groovy fit into this landscape? I mean, you've got all of these different options out there. Um, is it a statically typed or dynamic language? You know, how much? Uh, you know, how much freedom do you have in that kind of stuff? And what kind of benefits do you think you see from the JVM? I, I guess I should just ask one question at a time. So, yeah. Okay. So, 
Um, well, I can tackle both of those if I uh, remember. Okay. So, but to to begin with, uh, Groovy is a dynamic language, but it's got optional static types. Um, so what that means is you can actually declare method arguments, you can declare variables with types, which can have uh, some quite good. There are some good use cases for that, uh, and when I talk about Grails, I'll talk about one there. But it particularly helps with integration with Java because Java is statically typed. You know, you can declare your own types to make sure that Groovy method calls are going uh, to the appropriate Java methods in a, in a Java library, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still, you know, 100% at the moment dynamic. So all the method dispatch is dynamic, and you can have untyped variables or typed. It's entirely up to you. Uh, and one of the other key benefits is, you know, it's dynamic language like Ruby and Python, but it, um, uh, it has a syntax that's more familiar to Java developers. Uh, so it's got all the, the, the standard naming conventions, sta standard class uh, syntax, uh, the curly braces, you know, various loops. So a lot of similarity there. But it introduces not only is it dynamic language, but it introduces things like what we call closures. Uh, mm -hmm. There is much argument, particularly in the computer science field, whether we should be calling them closures or not. Uh, but basically, they're like uh, Ruby's code blocks with some right. uh, differences. But finally, you know, effectively something like uh, first-class functions, so functions that you can pass around. Um, uh, that's sort of the, the one of the biggest differences with Java. Plus, it cleans up a lot of the syntax. You, we get rid of a lot of the boilerplate. You know, I don't know how many people know who don't know Java. You know, if you come from a Ruby or Python background and you hear that Java doesn't have a, a list literals or map literals. Um, I think these days that's that's kind of shocking. Yeah, a little. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> I did some uh, Java so, back in the day, but still. <laughs> it, yes, it, yes, it just feels like modern language should have these things. But yeah, exactly, and, and Groovy uh, provides those. But, um, so you know, some people use Groovy as a uh, nicer to use Java, and not necessarily for the dynamic nature of the language. Uh -huh. Do you find that uh, people who do that tend to write, I mean, does their code actually flow differently than people who are writing Groovy for Groovy? Um, I don't know, difficult question. I, uh, I don't see a lot of uh, code like that, but you see, um, probably see more uses of interfaces and basically a lot of uh, declared types. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, you find that more experienced Groovy developers mix it up, uh, you know, actually use dynamic types and static types. Uh, for things like method signatures, having types there can really help uh, effectively document the method. Right. Uh, and in the Java world, IDEs, if you declare a type, then IDEs have a much easier time of doing auto-completion and you know, showing you what uh, properties and methods are available. Mm -hmm. So there's advantages there as well. Right. Um, I'm 
somewhere, I think I'm somewhere in between. I have generally uh, embraced, you know, the uh, dynamic typing because I, I, I like duck typing, particularly when it comes to testing. It makes testing much easier. And uh, when it comes down to it, a type system is a safety net, but it's also a little bit of a straitjacket as well. Right. So um, I, I kind of want to get into a little bit with Grails too. I have a friend of mine that uh, he went from Ruby to to Grails, and in fact, he actually turned over Teach Me to Code uh, to me when he did that because he had been doing Ruby tutorials and wanted to kind of keep it that way. Um, yeah. So first off, um, one thing that we've noticed in the Ruby community is that a lot of people come to Ruby because of Rails. Do you see the same kind of thing with Grails, or is it kind of the other way around? Uh, I think a lot. Um, I think a lot of people come to Groovy via Grails, but I'm not sure it's necessarily uh, as big as with uh, Ruby on Rails. Although, you know, I think there are probably more reasons to learn Ruby now that aren't Rails. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Rails helped give Ruby the lift. Um, I think Grails certainly helped give Groovy a lift, but there are uh, ways of using Groovy in Java projects that have nothing to do with uh, Grails, the, the testing framework. So we have one called Spock, and that makes life uh, much nicer for Java developers. You can It's very easy to integrate something like that into your standard Java project. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there, there are more uh, compelling reasons to use Groovy now than just Grails, but certainly uh, it was, and I believe still is, a, a strong influence, just as it was for Ruby on Rails. Okay. So what, what's kind of the approach with Grails? Is it MVC, and uh, what, what are some of the things that they've, they've done that you like with it? Um, so, yes, I mean, it is pretty much a standard uh, MVC framework. You know, what I like is that uh, under the hood, it's, it's stuff that I'm familiar with. You know, there's uh, the Spring Framework there. Uh, it's using standard uh, JAR files and uh, dependency management. Uh, but the when I first came to it, um, I did actually look at Rails first. But I think at that point, JRuby on Rails wasn't uh, there at that stage. Uh, and we were doing JVM development. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was through searching for Rails that I discovered uh, what was, at the time, called Groovy on Rails. I don't think many people know that. Uh, but we, the, the name changed not, not long after that. So it was really just the, the ease with which you could uh, get a, application, a web application up and running. I tried various uh, frameworks. Uh, I'd looked at uh, something called Struts. I'd looked at another thing called Tapestry, which had a which seemed really nice, but actually I still struggled to get anything going very quickly. And suddenly Grails, you know, everything given to you out of the box and, you know, very similar experience to Rails. But you also didn't, don't really need to know uh, much in the way of SQL to get started because we, we go with a domain-first model. So you write your domain classes. And this is where those static types come in particularly handy. Uh, because in your domain classes, each of the properties, you know, uh, author name, 
you know, date of birth, such like. Each of those is given a static type. Mm -hmm. And then Grills can infer from that what type to make the, the corresponding column in the database. Right. So very different uh, approach there. So you don't even need to uh, know anything about how the database is modeled, certainly when you're uh, starting up. Um, so what else is there? Um, well, it's pretty much everything utilizing uh, Groovy's builders, you know, the markup builder for generating XML and now uh, JSON very, mm -hmm. very simply. Um, I, I'm guessing that, you know, a lot of stuff that uh, really works for me in Grails is also in Rails and probably been there uh, for a while. So pretty much anything that's, you know, good in uh, Rails, good in Grails as well. Uh, I think the way that we've tried to integrate into the whole dependency system, the Java dependency system, I mean, we, we don't have in the Java world a module system as there is in Ruby, for example. Right. Uh, what we have are these Java files. In fact, there used to be a... Uh, a little video taking the mick out of Java for having jars rather than modules. I remember it was a Rails guy and a Java guy. Anyway, so <laughs> taking... <laughs> I don't know if you remember that one. <laughs> are, are those... What What are they? They're the NV something videos? Uh, I can't remember either. But yeah, basically, you know, you've got these jar files which are just uh, zips of classes. Um, but there's no real uh, meta information included there. Uh, and you you have to import every single class by package and so on and so forth. Uh, but so that's still you know an issue with Java. You know Java eight. We're looking to get uh, a I'm proper module right. system, but don't know how long we're going to be waiting for that. But what we do have is uh, something that Maven has uh, popularized, which are these online repositories of Java files, and the meta information is included in the build and on the on these online repositories. And so, you know, we now integrate with that, um, and that makes things, you know, generally uh, nicer to work with. But also, you know, dependencies, I I'm gather this is uh, possibly a problem in the Ruby world. Dependencies are a difficult problem to solve. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so. it, um, it's something that we've struggled with as well in the Ruby community. I mean, um, we recently got our hands on something called Bundler, which is something that uh, Carl or yeah, uh, Carl and Yehuda wrote, and uh, yeah, it, it it basically manages your dependencies for you and makes it a whole lot easier. But yeah, it it was definitely something that was an issue before. So. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm having fun with RVM at the moment, uh, and I've <laughs> I've managed to I don't know if you're a, a Vim user at all. Yep. Yeah, I've managed to kill my Command T plugin <laughs> on my Mac OS X, and so now oh, I can't really? get it again. Yeah, I haven't, it's, I haven't had any problems with that, but uh, apparently, if you get hold of Xcode four two one on Mac, uh, life becomes awkward after that. Oh. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, because Command T, brilliant plugin. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, on on top of that, uh, we've got 
the fact that it, it works with the servlet specification. So you're still ending up with a standard Java web application with the deployment opportunities there. Um, and of course, that appeals to many of the enterprise shops because they've got an investment in uh, application servers, servlet containers, and the like. Right. They, uh, they already have so, the ecosystem in place. And so this exactly. can take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I, I said, you know, originally, Grails is built on Spring, and it was something I was familiar with. You know, Spring gives you an application model. Um, mm -hmm. So not, you know, once you get outside of the, the front end, the controllers, you know, how do you architect your application uh, behind the scenes? Uh, because, you know, once you develop certainly bigger Grails applications, what you end up effectively generally doing is your controllers become a thin layer just handling HTTP requests and responses. Uh, they then offload, rather than you know accessing the database directly, they will offload to a layer of services, or, you know what we call Spring Beans, um, and then those services will interact with the database. Um, and then once you've got that middle layer, a lot more options become available. You can start uh, working with things like Spring Integration or um, Apache Camel is another project that does something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's about sort of uh, setting up routes within your application and um, sending messages internally or sending them externally via adapters. Uh, and there are many sort of sprit, like big Spring projects that... Uh, Bring a lot of interesting features. You know, most most people who want access control just use Spring Security. Uh, we have a plugin for that that simplifies the you know uses the Grails conventions to simplify setting up uh, Spring Security, right. which is a you know it's a pretty impressive and quite a it's been around for a while it's the heavyweight in the java world certainly in the servlet world for access control mm -hmm. so one thing that i I've, i'm hearing you, you talk about is just that you you have access to all of the the libraries uh that are available to you either as a java programmer or a spring programmer as well as the the things that are written specifically for grails and groovy um yeah i have a the same friend that that switched from ruby to grails um, he actually switched back because he was building a Facebook application and, uh, you know, and so in, in one sense you have all of these libraries, but in another sense he was saying, you know, Ruby has more libraries for things like building Facebook pages or, you know, maybe interfacing with some of these other APIs. Um, ha have you seen, uh, some of these, you know, I hear the same thing about Ruby versus Python and doing like math. And things like that, where Ruby's math libraries aren't as comprehensive as Python's, um, and it's right. generally because the language is newer. Uh, maybe the framework's a little newer. Have Have you experienced anything I, like that? I don't. Uh, yes, I, I don't think it's to do with the age of the language. Mm -hmm. It's really down to what communities have adopted the technology. Okay. You know, uh, what kinds of uh, you know, what kinds of companies have adopted Rails? Certainly, I think a large proportion have been startups. Uh, and, you know, many startups want that social integration. Um, and they're, they're very agile. And, you know, that kind of thing is important to them. And therefore, the 
the associated libraries have um, uh, sort of come along fairly quickly. You know, in the Java space, it's much more, you know, Java's still fairly enterprisey, much less startups. Mm -hmm. And enterprises aren't so concerned with uh, social integration. Or certainly, they weren't. You know, I think they're going to become uh, more aware. And so, yes, I, I would say that's the main reason why Java, for example, doesn't have uh, many in the way of uh, social integrations. Although we do have um, a spring social project that's gone uh, one zero now. Uh, but we, we still need to uh, wrap that in a Grails plugin uh, and make it that much more accessible to Grails developers. Uh, and on the Python side, the, the math library, um, you know, many academics from a C background were using Python to, you know, script their uh, C libraries, their, their you know, their um, numeric routines. So they have a lot of stuff, a lot of algorithms that they implement in C because it needs to run fast. But then they need to bring that all together uh, and, you know, want a more accessible interface to it all. So they use Python. And I think that it's that community the type of community which has driven, you know, more comprehensive maths libraries for Python, for example. Uh -huh. uh, I don't have an awful lot of evidence for that, but that's certainly my experience. For example, when I was uh, dabbling with Python, uh, it was in a company a, that was doing image processing. It was associated with uh, a university, the uh, University of London. Mm -hmm. And the academics who were doing the algorithms for doing image analysis uh, had the, the, their C and C++ code, and they were using Python bindings and then using Python to uh, script those. Right. So another question that I have is you work in an enterprise, and you, you, know, you, kind, of, you kind of talk about Java being enterprise-y. Um, what, what kind of applications does VMware have for Groovy and Grails. Uh, how do you mean applications for? So, for example, uh, what what do they use it for? Uh, right. Um, I I think we we have uh, some teams uh, using uh, Grails for uh, internal applications, but I don't know how many. I have to admit that. Um, and we have some some people using Groovy for developing uh, DSLs for mm -hmm. you know a Java uh, for Java libraries or Java frameworks or Java applications. Um, I don't know to be honest. I don't know if there's anything um, public. Right. Um, but of course, you know, uh, we have Cloud Foundry, which has that you know that support for. Yeah, several languages and frameworks, but uh, Groovy and Grail is quite core to that. Right. So, um, I guess my last question is, um, where do you see Groovy and Grails going in the future? Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting one, particularly as we have a little conference going um, this week. So, it's, it's uh, tomorrow and Friday, and... Uh, yeah, we'll be discussing something of the future of uh, Grails 
uh, in the one of the Friday sessions. Uh, but uh, Groovy will, I think, you know, continue to be, uh, you know, a premier dynamic language for the JVM. I think there are going to be more compelling reasons. There are going to be more uh, frameworks and tools that uh, use Groovy. One of the most interesting developments there is uh, taking that optional static typing and uh, adding uh, the ability to do some type checking at the compilation time. Uh So, you know, probably the uh, dynamic language advocates uh, throwing their hands up in the air at that. But going back to the fact that there are a lot of people who use uh, Groovy as a you know a more accessible Java, but they still like their types, uh, and they still like their IDEs. You know, putting a red underline under properties and methods that don't exist on their classes. Mm-hmm. So you know, by adding that support, you know, we help those people who who like their types who feel safer. Uh, with their their types and getting the auto completion and also very early feedback on typos and that kind of thing. Uh, Grails will I think Grails will uh, focus quite hard on the plugin ecosystem. I think the plugin ecosystem is very important to us. So I think it'd be uh, important to uh, many frameworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, because there are basically people want to, you know, they have a job to do. You know, there's a specific task. You were talking about, you know, Facebook integration and things like that. That's less about the core framework than you know the libraries or or plugins that are available to deal with those, uh, to solve those tasks. So I think we we'll see a lot more development. Um, maturing of that area of the uh, framework um, and I think it's you know Grails 2 is just coming out so that's due next week uh, and we'll probably continue to focus on just making life life's as easy as possible for uh, developers you know and, that, and that's um, that's things like you know getting that better error reporting, making things more responsive. You know we've we've improved those areas dramatically for Grails too. Um, you know the reloading is Ruby doesn't suffer from uh, this problem as much. Being an interpreted language uh, by default, you know things like modifying your classes on the fly. It, isn't something that the framework struggles to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, just the interpreter deals with the changes. Right. It is more difficult on the uh, JVM because you need to recompile uh, your. You need to recompile those classes, even in a dynamic language. You know, with Groovy, there isn't an interpreter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have uh, a shell or a, a console which uh, f- makes it feel like a interpreter, but it's not. So that whole recompilation phase makes life uh, quite difficult. Right. Uh, but what we can do is we, we've hooked into the JVM, and so when it's compiled, we can reload those changes, uh, you know, reattach objects, do all sorts of things. So uh, the reloading experience is much better with uh, Grails 2 as well. Huh. 
Um, so, so that's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm curious um, if somebody wanted to get into Groovy or Grails, what's the best place to go to do that? Well, I think uh, the you know if you want to give uh, certainly Groovy a uh, go, there's the web console. There's, there's a Groovy web console. Uh, I'll see whether I can. Uh, GroovyConsole.appspot, I think it is. Yeah, appspot, appspot.com. And there you can uh, dabble with scripts. You can write your scripts in the browser and execute them uh, and just play around. Uh, there is, you know, in the Groovy website, there is uh, documentation. I think still the best introductions are via uh, one of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, there is work afoot to you know, improve the uh, Groovy user guide uh, and bring that all together and make it more accessible. For Grails, uh, we've got the, you know, there is the user guide, but uh, probably best starting off with some of the screencasts, the introductory screencasts. So there are some on, on the grails.org website. Um, and there's uh, something called Groovy blogs.org as well Uh, and that's basically that's basically an aggregate of uh, various blogs related to Groovy and and Grails and you go you find a lot of uh, articles through there uh, as people are trying to do things introductory things but also uh, more advanced things all right Uh, well that sounds terrific and uh, we'll put some of the links to some of those resources in the show notes um, I just want to thank you again for coming on to the podcast. Um, right, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, hopefully people can kind of get an idea of what Groovy and Grails are all about. And if it solves their particular problem, they can give it a try. Yeah, definitely. It's very easy to, you know, test it out. Uh, as I said, go on uh, online and you can write Groovy scripts there and right. run them. If people want to follow what you're doing, what's the best way to do that? Uh, so I am on Google Plus. Uh, we just searched for Peter Ledbrook. I'm also on Twitter under the ID P Ledbrook. All right. Uh, and those are probably the best ways. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for coming, and uh, you know we'll we'll probably have this up in a few weeks, and I'll let you know when when we have it available. Excellent. It was great talking to you, Chuck. It was great talking to you too. <laughs>